the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. There will be constant times in the course of our lives where we will encounter one difficulty after another, one challenge after another. Please, listen, I'm not the best at journaling. I don't really do that well, but some of you are really good at it. But at least make some kind of mental note. When God is faithful to you in a certain situation, remember that. Write it down or remember it, record it. Because you'll need to remember that the next time. Because there will be a next time. Isn't it so true that we often struggle with spiritual amnesia? Every time we face a new hardship, we doubt whether God will be able to get us out of this one. We forget all the other times God has been faithful and trustworthy. That's why Pastor Gary encourages you in today's message to remind yourself of all the deeds God has done in your life. Just as David remembered how God rescued him from bears and lions before he slayed Goliath, Remember just how faithful God has been next time you face another giant problem. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 1 Samuel chapter 17 in your Old Testament Bibles. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into it. Amen? Lord, thank you for this time where we can join together our hearts in worship to you. And now we pray that you would guide us in our time in your word together. And we thank you for the timeless truth of the Bible. Speak to our hearts, Lord, through the pages of your word. And we're grateful in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, the principal character moving forward from where we are here in 1 Samuel on is, of course, David, as we have been mentioning. His name in Hebrew is pronounced David. His name means beloved. Only one David mentioned in the entire Bible. His life is divided primarily into four stages. We're right now in the shepherding years, but very soon hereafter, it will become the hiding years. About 15 years, he will be on the run from King Saul, who will attempt to kill him because he's jealous of David. That will turn then into the fighting years where David is a warrior, and then finally his reigning years as king of Israel. This story, chapter 17, is one of the most popular stories in all the Bible, is the story of the battle of David and Goliath. At the beginning of chapter 17, it tells us the Philistine camp on one mountain, you have the Israelite camp on the other mountain, and the battle happens between them in the valley of Elah. So this is where this story is taking place. 
And as we've been going through 1 Samuel, we've been kind of gleaning different principles from these chapters. So just by way of quick review, the enemy will always play on your fears. That was the tactic of Goliath. He was all about intimidation. Now he's an intimidating figure to look at. He is literally a giant. This is not a fable. This is not fee fi fo fum. I smell the blood of an Englishman. Okay, this actually happened. That's just a kid's fable, Jack and the Beanstalk. But this one actually happened where Goliath measures six cubits and a span. And we talked about that in ancient measurement. That's about nine feet, nine inches, somewhere in that range. But Goliath is an intimidating figure, not just by his size, but what he says. He's the first trash talker of the Bible. He's trash talking David. He's intimidating this young guy. David at this time is only somewhere between 15 and 17 years of age. So he's outsized in terms of physical strength and appearance, but how many of you understand David's not outsized because he has God on his side? And so God is the one who's going to fight for him, and God is the one who always fights our battles for us. But Goliath is kind of a picture. There's always a danger of using too many you know, parallels, like every story means this and means this. But, you know, just broadly speaking, if Goliath represents the enemy, the enemy also will try to intimidate us. The enemy will always speak things that are fearful, whispering them into our head. And we have to constantly be, as Paul says to the Corinthian church, taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. Because the enemy, Satan, loves to play on our fears as well to intimidate us, to cripple us, to try to uh, discourage us. And so that's kind of this principle with Goliath. The enemy will always play on your fears. And then the other one we looked at was also this, that when you decide to get serious with God, you can expect to have your critics. Because here young David is with a heart for God, and he is too young to fight because he's not of military age. He had to be at least 20 or older. Again, he's probably 15 to 17. But his father, Jesse, sends him on a mission with some cheese and crackers, literally, to go to the front line and to give some supplies to his brothers. He has three older brothers who were fighting in this battle. And maybe I shouldn't say fighting because none of the Israelites were brave enough to fight Goliath. So the whole army of Israel was paralyzed on their mountain, on their side of the Valley of Elah. And David goes there one day delivering some of the supplies, some food to his brothers. And he overhears two things. He overhears that King Saul has given a reward to whoever is valiant enough to go fight Goliath because the whole Israeli army is intimidated and fearful. And Saul said, uh, listen, I'm going to give you great riches and I'm going to give you my daughter, his youngest daughter in marriage, and I will exempt you and your family from taxes. And yet that wasn't appealing enough to any of the guys to, to get them motivated to fight Goliath. But David overhears that and he's intrigued by it. Now he's more motivated by wanting to please God and honor God. And he's angry that the name of God is being maligned by this Philistine this pagan, this heathen giant. And so there's something that rises up within him. And then the other thing is that he just, you know, literally not only hears the reward, but he hears the intimidation from Goliath as he taunts the Israeli army. And so, and David just says there in chapter 17, verse, um, verse 26, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And what happens then is his oldest brother Eliab hears him say that, and he's like, you know, you're a punk kid. Like, go back and and watch daddy's sheep. Like, why are you even here? Thanks for the cheese and crackers, but be on your way. And it actually says that Eliab was angry. He was angry at him 
in verse 28. His anger was aroused against David. And he says, why did you even come down here? And David gave this answer like, what have I done now? And so the point is like David was anxious to defend the name of God. His brothers and the whole Israelite army was not. And when David got courageous and wanted to get serious about honoring God and living for God, look here at his own brother. Like he was critical of David. And look, this must have run deeper than just this conversation. Here's why I say that. You might want to write on the margin of your Bible, Psalm 69, verse 8. Because much later in life, David will write Psalm 69, verse 8, which says this, I have become a stranger to my brothers an alien to my mother's children. And he had already written in the Psalms also about, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will never forsake me. Somebody once said, every family this side of the Garden of Eden is dysfunctional, right? But there was something deeply dysfunctional about David's family that he would write in the Psalms that his mother and father have rejected him and that his brothers have treated him like an alien. He's very alone. But because he has this strong relationship with the Lord, he's never alone, right? I mean, that seems like a contradiction, but you can be very alone and yet never alone because you have the Lord. And so David is just, you know, inspired to fight when nobody else wants to fight. He's got this courage. And so in verse 31, it says, now when the words which David spoke were heard, They reported them to Saul, that's the king, and he sent for him. And then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of the Philistine, Goliath. Your servant will go on and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So you got to love the courage of this young man to do something as a young teenager. The guys much older than he was in the Israeli army were not willing to do. But I love what he says here because notice, notice what he does. And this is principle number three for you note takers. Faith builds upon faith. He begins to recall the faithfulness of God at other times in his life. You know, it looks like at first he's just boasting about his own strength and his own courage when he kills a lion and he kills a bear with his bare hands. But right after he just recalls all that, he says, well, if God delivered me from them, from the bear and the lion, he will deliver me from this Philistine. Like he's going to take care of me in the same way that he took care of me when I killed the lion and the bear. And he gives credit to God. He says, you know, God was the one really behind that. He enabled me, gave me the strength to kill a lion and a bear with his bare hands. I mean, this was a a mighty courageous young man who, because of his relationship with God, he is able to translate that into future difficulties and recognize that as God was with me in those previous difficulties, he's going to be with me now. That's important. Why do I say this? Because There will be constant times in the course of our lives where we will encounter one difficulty after another, one challenge after another. Please listen, 
I'm not the best at journaling. I don't really do that well, but some of you are really good at it. But at least make some kind of mental note. When God is faithful to you in a certain situation, remember that. Write it down or remember it. Record it. Because you'll need to remember that the next time. Because there will be a next time. I mean, that's just the course of life until we get to heaven. We will be plagued by one difficulty after another on some level. Now, there are seasons. There are some seasons where, and some of you probably are like, yeah, I'm in the thick of it right now. Thank you. But there are some seasons when the difficulty is heavy, and then there are other seasons when it's not as heavy. I'm not saying that life is a constant stream of misery, but I am saying that because we live in a fallen world, we will encounter difficulties and trials and, and challenges And when we encounter those things, we need to recall the faithfulness of God. And faith builds upon faith because we can go, okay, I remember when God was faithful then, and I remember when he was faithful then, and if he was faithful then, and then, and then, he's going to be faithful now. And this is what David was doing when he was recalling the faithfulness of God. So keep reading with me. So Saul said to him, the end of verse 37, Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And so Saul clothed David with his armor, because, you know, he's a young kid. He doesn't even have a uniform or armor. Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword, this is Saul's sword, to his armor, and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. And so David took them off. So here's this picture of this young guy with a grown man's, you know, armor on. And he's like, this is clumsy. You know, I can't even walk with this. And it's oversized and it swallows me up and he takes it off. It's a good principle for us. Look, you can't fight in another man's armor. In other words, when you do encounter whatever challenges you might face, You better have your own relationship with the Lord. You can't fight in someone else's strength. That's their experience. That's their armor. That's their life. But as much as we would love to just build on someone else's strength, you have to have your own personal walk with Jesus. You have to have your own relationship with him and walk in that strength and fight in the strength of the Lord. And so there's this clumsy thing here that happens. And so he just, he just takes it off. He says, I, I, I can't wear this. And then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch, which he had. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. There's a brook there at the base of this mountain on the side of the Israelite camp. In fact, I've only been there once. You know, I've taken about 18 different groups over the years to Israel, and we have one coming up in a couple of weeks. It's not on our normal stop among our tour of, of the Holy Land, um, because it's not really along the route. Um, but there was this one occasion where our flight got in actually earlier than the hotels were ready to take our group. And so along the way, our tour guide that I've worked with for 20 plus years now, he says, let's stop by the Valley of Elah and we'll have a, the Bible study there. I actually have a picture of Austin, our middle child, went on that trip when he was about 10 years old. And I have a picture of him picking up smooth stones from the Valley of Elah. And so this is that valley. And uh, there's a brook there. And David takes out five smooth stones from the brook because he is going to use his slingshot. Now, 
Don't think, for those of you old enough, I'm going to date myself. Don't think like Dennis the Menace uh, slingshot, okay? Like, like a shaped in a V with a you know, rubber band of elastic and you know, you're shooting stuff that way. That's not the kind of sling that they were using back in the day. It was a leather pouch with two leather strings along the side of the pouch. One with a circular knot on one end of it, so you'd put it around your wrist, or you'd put it around at least a few fingers, so that would hold the sling from flying out of your hand. And then the other one, you would wrap around so you could get this this wheeling motion. The stones that were used in a sling at this particular time were, because they've uncovered some in archaeological digs, they were basically the side of a billiard ball. So you're talking, you know, like to play pool. So it's not, you know, something a little smaller than a tennis ball. And so we're not talking little pebbles here. We're talking, you know, some pretty sizable stones, something a little smaller than a tennis ball. And Israelis could, and still even today, I've seen Israelis use the sling like it's with amazing precision. But they can, they can sling one of these stones. Are you ready for this? 400 yards. They can hit something with precision within 200 yards. That's two football fields. And it travels at about 150 miles an hour because you build up enough momentum with this movement. In Judges chapter 20, it mentions about the tribe of Benjamin and how the Benjamites were left-handed and that they were with great precision, it says, I think it's Judges chapter 20, verse 6, somewhere in there, where it says the Benjamites with their left hands could take the sling and they could hurl stones within a hair breadth. That's the way it describes it in the Bible. Like with such precision that just like the breadth of a hair, they can hit a mark. So um, this was a formidable weapon in the hands of somebody who knew how to use it, for sure. You know what's interesting today, the Israeli army, the IDF, Israeli Defense Force, has a defensive military system, air defense military system, called David's Sling, that they use today. And it was developed, this air defense system was developed by an Israeli team and also a U.S. team, a U.S. defense contractor, Raytheon. Some of you work for Raytheon. Raytheon has a building right here in Leesburg. So Raytheon helped an Israeli team to develop David's sling, and it is used uh, today to intercept enemy planes, drones, tactical ballistic missiles, medium and long-range rockets, and, and various missiles, cruise missiles. So that's what they call their defense, the air defense system today is David's sling. And so David's sling is still killing enemies today. Um, back to our Bible study. This is what David gathers here. And this is what he's going to use. Now, some kind of almost in a humorous way wonder why he chose five stones. I mean, if you really are, you know, believing God is going to give you the victory, isn't one stone enough? But some like to point out the fact, and it is mentioned in 2 Samuel chapter 21, you don't need to turn there, that Goliath had four relative giants, four relatives in his family who were also giants. They're mentioned in 2 Samuel 21 verses 18 to 22. David and his men will later kill them as well. So some, some are saying, you know, if Goliath goes down and his four relatives come after me, I'm ready with four more stones. Uh, so that's why he perhaps chose five. But otherwise, he's just being prepared for battle here. And so, and so here he goes. It says in verse 41, And so the Philistine came, this is Goliath, and began drawing near to David. 
And the man who bore the shield went before him. Because Goliath has an, an armor bearer. Like he needs one, but there he is. And the man who had the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He hated him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. And so the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Now let me point out to you, that was actually a statement that was a lot worse than it sounds. Because the word for dog in Hebrew is kelev. We have an English version of the name Caleb, comes from Caleb, meaning dog. And this isn't to say that this is what the name Caleb means today. But in Old Testament scripture, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 18, the word dog was a euphemism. Caleb in Hebrew was a euphemism for a male prostitute. So he, Goliath is taunting David by saying, what do you think I am? Just a male prostitute that you're coming after me with a stick? Like this is a much more disparaging thing than just saying, am I a dog? He's actually using a euphemism here that in Hebrew was uh, a, a much more disgusting than just saying, am I like a puppy dog here? And so and it says, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So Goliath is basically saying to him, you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me? You little punk, come fight me. And then David said to the Philistine, verse 45, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. What a great little speech there, huh? So I want you to notice what he's saying here. This is another point. It's number five on our list. The battle is the Lord's, and so is the glory. In that little speech that I just read to you between verses 45 and 47, six times, six times in three verses, David invokes the name of God. He refers to him as the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. There is a God in Israel. The Lord does not save with sword and spear. The battle is the Lord's. And so it is important for us to remember the one fighting our battles. It's not in our strength. It's in the strength of the Lord. And David knows this. If he had gone up, you know, to this nine foot, nine inch giant and how tall was David? You know, maybe, maybe five feet, five, four, like, like the average height of a man in that day was not much more than about five, six. So, you know, he's standing there in the shadow of this giant. And if he had said to him, you know, I'm just going to rip your head off. Wait till you see what I can do. You know, like a ninja. If he had done that, like he would have been, he would have been toast. But he knows, like, this is the Lord's doing, and the Lord's going to give the victory here. And so he gives, he gives God the glory because he knows the battle is the Lord's. And so it says, so it was, verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. This is probably would have been the only place on his body that wasn't covered by armor of some kind. Because he has a helmet, he has a coat of mail, 
and he has a spear and a javelin, like he's covered up, he's got a shield, he's got an armor bearer with a shield. This is probably the only place that was exposed, and yet with great precision, David goes right for that open place on his forehead. He slung it, and it struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead. Okay, that's some force, friends. And he fell on his face to the earth. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of 1 Samuel. This book is packed full of practical applications for our lives today. We follow three main characters, Saul, David, and of course Samuel, through a series of crossroads and decisions they faced during the early days in Bible times. It is here that we find the victory of David over Goliath and the development of a new prophet in young Samuel. We also find the fall of a king in Saul as a reminder of the consequences of disobedience to God. As Samuel told Saul in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear the truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to this teaching from 1 Samuel today on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, but still you know, you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.